The spin is supported by NatWest. Why? Because NatWest loves cricket. The skills it teaches and the communities it creates and want it to be easy for everyone to get involved. To find out about how NatWest is helping make cricket open to all, search NatWest Cricket. It's the spin! If you grew up in England in the 80s, David Gower was probably your cricketing hero. If you came to cricket in the 90s, as I did, he was your cricketing companion. But either way, he's been an ever-present in the game for the last 40 years. I have written in The Guardian in the past that my mum has a framed picture of David on her desk at work. And this is honestly true. It is actually bigger than the picture of my dad. He is a complete legend in the John household and in millions of other households too. But this final Ashes test will be David Gower's last on the Sky commentary team. And so we are delighted and slightly giddy to announce that he is joining the spin. For this one episode anyway. Oh, and Andy Bull and Charlie Baker on the show too. It's the spin! Dead rubber? What dead rubber? England are playing for pride, a series draw and 24 crucial points in the World Test Championship. Not to mention the fact that most of the team are playing for their test careers. While we were all talking about handing Ben Stokes a knighthood, it turns out Theresa May had other thoughts. We'll find out what my guests think of Geoffrey Boycott becoming Sir Geoffrey. But most of all, David Gower is on the spin. It's the spin! I'm Emma John and this is The Spin, the cricket podcast which hasn't read any messages from Australian friends since Sunday. We've got our tabletop game of test match set up in the studio as ever. Uh, I do apologise to our guests that we don't have a complete set. As you can see, we've only got one functioning batsman, much like Australia, really. Uh, <laughs> I am sat at Cow Corner as ever. Charlie is at Extra Cover. Andy is at Deep Backward Point, we'll call it. And Lord David Gower is at, uh, <laughs> is at Long Off. Welcome, Lord Gower. It's, it's been a long time since I've been that far away from the um, scene the action. Uh, the other thing I feel bad about is that the set does not come with a left-handed batsman. Oh. They really discriminate against lefties well, test match um, As I've got a bit of time to spare this winter, I might be able to sort of, sort of nick one away, sort of whittle a bit of wood down and sort of... <laughs> Could take me a year or two just to get you a left-handed batsman sort of modelled beautifully and painted up and you know, lots of long blonde this, hair. This could be an opening for and, you, David. An air of insouciance and all the rest of it and, and a large glass of claret. But anyway. <laughs> could be an opening for you. I think people would buy uh, figures made out of some of your old bats that you've whittled away yourself. Well, I think, I think the mice in the attic have been doing that as well. So. <laughs> we do like attention to detail at mm. our ground, so we right. do also have this. I think that is a twin-engined aircraft, not the slightly underpowered Tiger Moth, <laughs> circa 1940. <laughs> and of course, we have uh, David's England teammate and commentary colleague, Mike Atherton, who is ever-present here at Fine Leg. Oh. I'm very fond of Mike, to be honest. He's, he's a very, very far too clever, actually, far too clever for his own good. Um, but I'm, I'm a very big fan of Atherton, both in terms of what he writes 
and what he says on television. Actually, he's very organised, very clever, very, very clear thinking. I'm, I'm jealous, actually, very, very jealous. <laughs> uh, well, you're going to fit in right here because Andy and I are both massive athletes. <laughs> <laughs> right. On every episode, we warm our guests up with a gentle loosener. And today's question is this: What's your favourite cricketing nickname? I'll get in first because I've only got one that I know that I really, really like, which is the Raoul Pindi Express. It just sounds fast, and I think it just sums up everything about it. It's absolutely fantastic. For, for those people who do not know who the Raoul Pindi Express is... Is Sherbachter? I, li- I always liked Afghan for Mark Wall, the Forgotten War brother, when they weren't picking him. Because um, his brother is Tugger. Tugger. which is also... People actually call him Tugger as well. Mm. No one actually calls Mark Wall Afghan. Oh, do they not? Well, not to his face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're right, it's, it's a good one, because I like ones which are at least clever... So, you know, 99% are you just take a name, add the sound I at the end of it. And yeah. there you are. You know, job done. You know, well done, lads. We'll call you, you know, all the ones that have some sort of thought involved in it. I mean, some of my colleagues, I mean, Bob Willis has always been called Goose. And I tried to get him to explain that the other day. It takes far too long. It's completely, I mean, it has no logic to it whatsoever. My other favourite nickname is uh, All Hands for the lesser-known South African former quick bowler, Monde Zondeki. So it becomes all hands on deck. <laughs> absolutely beautiful. And it's, which I thought was an absolute classic. And, yeah. According to Marcus Berkman's uh, recent book, his miscellaneous of cricket, you have three nicknames. <sighs> oh, I've got lost more than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the ones he gives are Lubo, yep. Stoat yep. and Dregsy. <laughs> I must have words with them. <laughs> um, Will you admit to any of these three? I, well, in all honesty, I have to admit to all three of them. Um, but Lubo was the one most commonly used, which started all these secrets coming out. I, mean, I, must, I, must, I should be doing this myself. For myself. It started as Lulu, because I took a very nice girl called Lulu out to dinner in Leeds during one of my first test matches first year. And Bob Willis, who was in charge, you know, Goose, who was in charge of nicknames in that era, called me Lulu after that because she was a gorgeous blonde. Uh, in those days, I was also pretty much a gorgeous blonde. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I had lots and lots of blonde hair, and so he thought Lulu would be a great name. I thought this wouldn't really help the career much. You know, for instance, going to Australia and trying to face Jeff Thompson, Dennis Lee, and all these guys, <laughs> if I said, hi, I'm Lulu. Um, and luckily, when we got to Australia, there was a restaurant called Lubo's Charcoal Grill in Adelaide, which we went to. Cheap, cheerful, big steaks, lots of garlic, paint stripper, um, sawdust on the floor, no tablecloths, no napkins, lucky to get cutlery, all that sort of stuff, in a very down-market part of Adelaide, Hindley Street, which is now regenerated and has theatres and all sorts of cafes and nice things. The change from Lulu to Lubo was a welcome one, um, and it stuck for a long, long time. So most of my colleagues from all that era know me as Lubo. The Stoat thing was a Monty Pythonism, um, really? which only, only one or two people call me that. And Dregsy is entirely Lineker's fault, because when I used to go around for dinner at Chateau Lineker in St John's Wood years ago now, um, and stay the night. I'd sort of pick up the old glass of brandy at the end. Oh, there's anyone not drinking that? I'll have that. So I'd <laughs> just finish off. So he called me Dregsy. I mean, of course, he has all sorts of nicknames too, which I wouldn't like to fight back with here. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we go. On to the cricket. The final Ashes test, England are 2-1 down, and Australia's first series win on English soil in 18 years is a very real possibility. Looking at this game in particular, as a captain, how do you motivate a team for a dead rubber like this. You've captained England. What would you be doing? Don't worry, I've tried to motivate teams when we're 4-0 down as well. (laughs) (laughs) I have have vast experience in the field. (laughs) Um, No, this one's still easy enough because um, it's still the Ashes and we haven't actually lost the series. 
I mean, I know because of the Ashes and their reputation, although you have this irony, of course, you have the smallest trophy in international sport, which whenever you hold it up, I mean, I, one of my favourite memories is 85, standing there at the bal- on the balcony at the Oval, holding up the Ashes, and it turns into a see- scene from the life of Brian because no one can see it. <laughs> you know, so you have to have faith that the Ashes are actually, <laughs> are actually there. Um, but for someone like Joe Root now, um, they can still draw the series, which is no bad thing which saves a modicum of pride if you can fight back from where they are. I mean, Australia have been the better side overall and deserve to be in this winning position. So you want to finish on a good note. Um, the Oval has, been off- has often been quite a good place to do that. And, of course, we mustn't forget the great attraction that is the World Test Championship. There are points up for grabs here, mm. which in four years' time, whenever it is, whenever it comes to a close, or, you know, two years, three, I've lost the track now, but whenever it comes to a close... And we are vying for a semi-final place against Afghanistan. We're going to want those that, 23 those, points. Those points might be absolutely vital. Yeah, good point. Oh, good, no, point. good point. <laughs> uh, well, keeping a sense of perspective on cricket has never been my strong suit. But uh, now we know that the Ashes aren't coming home, it is probably time to ask some of the bigger questions, like the ones that David's been asking about scheduling and, and, and what we do about Red Bull cricket. Um, but let's start with the coach. Trevor Bayliss will depart as England coach after the Oval Test. Should chairman of selectors Ed Smith or captain Joe Root be following him? Andy? No, I, I wouldn't say either of them necessarily should, actually. Uh, Root, I suppose you can make more of a case for simply because it's affecting his batting so much, or seems to be. There's that 12-point drop in his average, and England really need him to be a better performer for him right now, given the weakness of the batsmen around him. So there's more of a debate to be had about Root, and I thought Vic Marks wrote a really nice piece early this week, actually, saying that we should actually perhaps make it easier for people to step back from the captaincy on occasion and almost not rotate it, but it would be okay for a captain to say, actually, do you know what, I might need to step back and take a break from this. Maybe Stuart Broad captains just in one series this winter in New Zealand, say. But I think, you know, the experience Root has accrued as a captain is, you would hope, going to be so useful for them going forward if he can learn the right things from it. So... If he's got good people around him, if he's having the right conversations, if he's got the right coach in there working with him, you would hope that that coach would be saying, well, what have you learned while you were losing? And what are we going to do differently <laughs> while we're going forward? Um, so the new coach, I mean, David, you'll be free at the end of the summer. What would you do if, <laughs> oh, nice. if Ashley Giles tapped you on the shoulder and said your country needs you? <laughs> We are now into the realms of fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, Um, then what is the biggest challenge facing the new coach? What do they need to do? Well, the the challenges are multiple. I mean, the the, so the it's an onerous job because of the 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 huge amount of cricket that's played. I mean, you know, winters are busy times. Summers are very busy times. There's um, still a very good argument for maybe splitting the coaching duties between uh, red ball, white ball. Um, but the, I mean, who's, who's available? I mean, the, the big question is who's available? Um, I mean, I've seen the last couple of days people talking about Jason Gillespie, Dizzy Gillespie. There's another nickname for you. Oh, lovely, yeah. Uh, good one. I like that. Um, so Dizzy, who's made a good reputation, both in this country and back in Australia, would be an interesting candidate. He has come an awful long way from being a fast bowler who could barely put two words together. So <laughs> very, uh, well, it's fast bowler's voice. <laughs> Sorry, I apologise now. Again. Um, you know, but it's, he's come an awful long way from those days and is now regarded as a very, very good coach. But of course, it's, a, it's about availability because some of the great or the well-respected names around the world, um, even when Trevor Bellis was being appointed, people like, say, Fleming and Moody, um, okay, they all come from the other side of the world, doesn't make them bad coaches. 
um, but they were happy doing what they did. So you have to find someone with an empathy for the side at the moment. Um, so I think one of the quickest ways I can rule myself out, apart from the fact it was pure fantasy, and a very bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I specialise in that. <laughs> well, it just, it's hurt me deeply. No, the, um, fear not. No, one, one, one of the quickest reasons to rule yourself out is that the modern game is the modern game. And however good you were, I mean, for instance, the classic examples, my captain at Leicester when I first joined Leicester in 1975, um, Raylingworth, who was a brilliant captain, you know, very hard and up, very successful, who was eventually made England manager probably 10, 15 years too late. And you, it's very hard to identify then with the modern game, the modern player, and for them to identify with you. Um, so whatever, however rational, clever, brilliant you are, that, that's a, a big st um, sticking point. So anyone who's been in the game recently as a player coach is, is much more likely to be there. And so as I said, the Gillespie name seems to come to the top of the list. If he's free and wants to do it, then actually probably be a very good choice. I think that's absolutely key, isn't it? That the, because the game has changed so much in the last 10 years that we now mm. have three forms of the game that we, and soon to be four forms really? of the when game. Really? When did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> someone, someone should tell me these things. <laughs> and yeah. soon to be four forms of the game with yeah. 100 coming in. The yeah. fact that there's, that there's so many different forms of the game that anyone who played 15, 20 years ago wasn't involved, is not involved in 2020. Mm. So surely it needs to be somebody who has played recently with energy. But I also think we should have split role because yeah. the, the games are so different. As we've seen this summer, his, we're world champions in one and we're struggling in the other. So That's a funny thing to have to explain to people who might have come to cricket through this summer, isn't it? People who might have watched the, the World Cup final because mm. it got everyone caught up and then people who, who then watched the miracle of Headingley. How do you explain to them then when England go away and lose at Old Trafford and suddenly the Ashes, the chance of regaining the urn has gone? What do you say to a new fan, Andy? Well, time to get used to it. <laughs> they better learn to like it, is what I would say, if they're going to follow England for any length of time. No, it, it's interesting. Mean, there's this kind of acceptance now about the coaches in particular that uh, it's too much for one man to do. I think there's quite almost a consensus on that in the game now. And the only worry is they tried splitting the coaches before with Flower and Giles, and it didn't really work because they were in conflict quite a lot of the time. But if you get the right people in the roles, maybe. What I find interesting is that's also what we're asking the players to do. All the best players in the world now want to play all formats. Joe Root is almost obstinate in his determination to play T20 and franchise cricket. And the workload for the players, although they're very well paid for doing it, when you look at Joe Root and the way he's been batting in this series and you think about the year he's had, going way back, I, I counted them up for a column this week. This, he's just played his 100th day of cricket in the last 365, and that's just days on the field or in the dressing room. And I kind of think... That workload for him, I am not surprised that he is now struggling to produce his best form. He looks as though he's batting on the dregs of his energy right now in this series. Charlie, here's, yeah. here's the big philosophical cricket question okay. of the summer yeah. for you. Mm -hmm. Is Steve Smith actually human? No, he's wonderful, isn't he? He's <laughs> excellent. Yeah, I, I'm so pleased that he came out and did what he did because I think it's uh, a truly world-class sportsman. Uh, one of the greatest of all time to turn up after what happened obviously and it's very regrettable and I and I utterly condone it but the fact he's come out shown himself to be the player he is even though it's against us I'd, I'd have taken it I'd have taken the World Cup him doing that Warner being out for 10 every game <laughs> and, uh, and two all if you'd have offered me that at the beginning of the summer I'd have taken it <laughs> 
The big news yesterday was that Theresa May has named Jeffrey Boycott and Andrew Strauss in her resignation honours list. Both will receive knighthoods. We can't pretend this isn't what everyone's talking about. And hashtag boycott boycott was trending on Twitter yesterday. For those who don't know, Jeffrey is a legend of English cricket with over 100 tests and more than 8,000 runs. But in 1998, he was fined £5,000 and given a three-month suspended sentence after being convicted in France of beating his then-girlfriend Margaret Moore, although Boycott has always denied the allegations. The Women's Trust charity said it was disappointed to see Boycott included in the honours list because it either suggested that he was believed over the survivor despite his conviction or that his fame meant it didn't matter. So, yes or no, do you think it's wrong to give a knighthood to Jeffrey Boycott? Andy? Well, since you pushed me into it, I'll say yes, actually. I do think it was wrong to give it to him. I'm surprised he got it simply because Theresa May, one of her signature policies this year, actually, one of the things she wanted to be her her legacy so, so far as she has one after her sorry prime ministership, was about dealing with domestic abuse. And actually, she pushed through a lot of new legislation on exactly that area. And she was quite vocal about saying, this is what I want my legacy to be, once she realised she was going to have to address her legacy earlier than she'd hoped. And it's very hard to square that, even allowing for the fact that there is some uncertainty about the verdict that was given against Boycott, and I think it's fair to say that. And people who are very familiar with the case, Boycott's biographer, Leo McKinstry, uh, has written in the mail today talking about the complexities of the case and whether it was legally sound or not. So I think it's fair to say there's some uncertainty about that, but I also think that in the circumstances, I can't I can't really agree with it. Charlie, what about you? No, no, I don't think it should be anywhere near a knighthood. I don't agree with the whole honours system, so that's the first thing <laughs> to get out of the way. Um, the fact that he was convicted, and there are pictures of a woman with a terrible bruised face, and, and also he's shown absolutely no remorse, not that that would make much difference, but Definitely no yesterday morning, and by yesterday night, definitely, definitely no. After his appearance on <laughs> After Radio 4. After his appearance on Radio 4. The fact that he called the female journalist love within that statement, I think, sums up quite a lot of what he is. It, it just shows himself to be... Oh, I don't know. Leave that to me, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the interesting thing, yeah, the interesting going back... And the, always have to preface any remarks about this. He wouldn't condone any sort of abuse of that nature at all. When I, I remember when it happened, um, lots of things said. Jeffrey, who I've known since way before that, said to me he hadn't done it. Now, uh, you could say, well, he would say that anyway. Um, the court process was interesting because, amongst other things, he made a big mistake in not treating the French courts with any respect whatsoever. Um, he didn't turn up the first hearing. Um, when he turned up the second one, he was not very respectful of the Parisian judge, who was a very elegant lady, who took an instant exception to him as well. So it wasn't going well. Um, now, whatever the verdict, I mean, the verdict is there. It's, in, it's lodged in history. Um, and I think people are quite right to bring it up as an issue. I and mean, he's been waiting for this for a long, long time. And I suspect... Um, it's been on his passport for the last 40 years anyway. <laughs> um, so, in fact, this is just the government correcting a clerical error, which they failed to acknowledge way back. Um, but for, you know, for Theresa, well, oh, she's had a tough time, poor girl. You, you can make mistakes at the end of yeah, a tough year like this. I'd just go, if that was your daughter and she'd been beaten up mm. by a man and that man was given a knighthood, 
It would not you go would well. not forgive that, would you? It would not go well. Well, there's something else that's been bothering me. Jeffrey mm-hmm. Boycott played 108 tests, including four <laughs> as captain, and hit 8,114 runs. David Gower played 117 tests, captaining 32 times, and scoring 8,231 runs. Why doesn't David have a knighthood? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm holding out for, for better. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm also, I had this conversation yesterday. I'm also contemplating going to Europe... Um, um, I'm, I remain, I'm sorry, I hate to say that, I remain a big fan of Europe. And maybe a sort of German title or you know, a French title. <laughs> Lovely, yes. would make, oh, yeah. <laughs> Herr Gower. <laughs> no, Herr, Herr's just a... No, 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 we're talking, we're talking about Graf. Oh, or, OK. Or, or, you know, sort of, or Baron or, you know... <laughs> The, the thing they, they, I, they, think they, you think, I think you missed off, David's <laughs> record there is, is one test wicket, is that correct? Oh, David? yes, good point, good point, yes. Well, can, um, you, can you talk us through that? Is that uh, Kapildev? No, and I don't like to drop names loosely. But, <laughs> um, it, but I also have to admit, it was a delivery in 19... Uh, whenever it was, uh, 84, 85, something. It was a delivery which nowadays is outlawed. Ah. The, the lob. Hmm. Uh, it's, you know, it wasn't due to pitch um, legally, as it would be now. He tried to hit it from Kanpur to Delhi, slightly miscued it. And it was, it, was a, it was a tricky moment for, I think it was Graham Dilley caught it, actually, who had to decide whether or not, uh, after he'd bowled for five days on the flattest, lowest pitch of all time, without success, without even getting one above stump height, uh, whether or not he should ignore this chance, pretend it was in the sun that he couldn't see it. It wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't going to make a jot of difference to the outcome of the game. We can, we can put it that way. But it is, likewise, like so many other things, it's in the record books. Lovely. <laughs> Well, it's time for us to take a breather. David, I once introduced you to my mother, who's a big fan of yours. Well, you and Brian Close and Angus Fraser and Mike Brilly. She's got pretty discerning taste. Eclectic uh, taste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Brian Close thing, weird. Um, anyway, she was very excited to meet you. And what I remember uh, is her telling you so quite effusively. And you, who have clearly encountered this kind of reaction from your fans before, very kindly and calmly telling her to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been thinking ever since then that you'd be a fantastic voice to have on a meditation app. Um, uh-huh. So since this has been a fairly fraught week for all of us, perhaps you could lead us in some calming, soothing mindfulness exercises during the break. I have a script here. If you could just read that out. OK. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. <laughs> We'll be back for part two in just a moment. Breathe in. Breathe out. When Utoxeter Cricket Club had to leave their beloved grounds of 60 years, it looked like it might be the end for the area's only club. Enter NatWest Cricket Force, an initiative created to support community clubs across the country. They helped them make a new home in a former cricket ground, breathing new life into the space and the team. Why? because NatWest believes cricket should be easy for everyone to play. It's paired up with the Guardian Labs to tell more stories about experiences like these. Read them at theguardian.com forward slash NatWest dash cricket. This message was paid for by NatWest. It's a spin! Namaste. This is The Spin, the Guardian cricket podcast that's already feeling much more zen about Australia retaining the ashes. Andy Ball, Charlie Baker and David Gower are my guests. Uh, David, most people probably picture you heading for Saint-Tropez as soon as the bales are removed at the Oval, but in fact, you're off to Lyme Regis and Hunstanton. Why? <laughs> Amongst uh, well, places I've not been to before, I 
they'll let us in. We can't get into France now. <laughs> well, won't, won't, won't be able to by the end of October anyway. Um, I am doing a theatre tour. It's called On the Front Foot. I did a, a series of about 14 in the springtime around all sorts of places, Winchester, Southampton, uh, up north, went to Halifax. Um, it is a sort of trawl through life, starting from the early days in Dar es Salaam. So my first cricket bat was held on the Gymkhana Club pitch in Dar es Salaam, which was then Tanganyika, is now Tanzania. Came back to Kent, did all that, uh, went up to Leicester, played there for a while, Hampshire, England. So it's a look back at the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, it is done with a smile on the face um, and without too much seriousness, uh, even when we get to years like 89 and a comprehensive Ashes defeat or the 100% the record against the West Indies, who I still maintain were the finest side ever to play the game of cricket because we lost to them a lot. Um, so it's a bit of fun on stage, it's supported, and of course there is the Tiger Moth. Well, um, I was going to say, is mm. it like going to see a classic rock band? Do you save that for the encore? Well, uh, the <laughs> no, there's a Botham story for the encore, um, which I won't repeat now, but there's, <laughs> we walk on to a, an animated version. That we, we couldn't quite work out how to get a real Tiger Moth into provincial theatres around the country. You know, Hunt Stanton, for instance, has an absolutely zero you know, policy on, on Tiger Moth. So we have an animation, which is quite good fun, which sort of breaches, you know, we sort of start by saying, you know, 8,231 test match runs, and all I get remembered for is a Tiger Moth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it sort of leads us in. I mean, that sort of sets the tone gently for what might happen for the next couple of hours. And so far, so good. We well, have, you know, if you need a sound effect, we've got one we can lend you. I've, thank you, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> Who's given you more material for the show? Is it Ian Botham or Graham Gooch? <laughs> um, they both <laughs> they both have parts to play. <laughs> um, they both get references, uh, as does Mike Gatting. There are so many beefy stories, Botham stories, that, which revolve around his lifestyle, his brilliance on the field, his thirst off the field. Uh, you meld the whole lot together, you've got endless material. And it's very fitting that he's now going off to just make wine and sell, you know, gallons of wine all around the world. I mean, he is living his best life, isn't he? He's getting... Well, he's, he's always tried to. Uh, he's had the odd bad moment, but um, he's, he's generally survived. And actually, I take my hat off to him because this... I don't, why am I doing a promo for both and wines? He's not. He's, 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 I, I keep. I, I keep seeing them on on Twitter. And I keep saying, still waiting for the sample case, and I still haven't had the sample case. So, so they're rubbish. Um, yeah. Anyway, you know they're completely undrinkable. No, he's going to do very well with with those, I think. And he, he does put heart and soul into it. He's got the nose for wine. It's enormous, and it works brilliantly. Having dealt with Australian sledging across a thirteen-year career, <laughs> are, are you good with hecklers? Because I think Charlie could probably give you some tips. Yeah, You've been heckled, David? Uh, mostly on the field, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. What's, your, what's the worst sledge you had? Can you repeat any of those? Oh, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> no one in the, oh, there, there, are, there is one which <laughs> both of them involves both of them and Rodney Marsh, which starts with both of them going out to bat at probably the Wacker or somewhere, Bacchus, i.e. Rodney Marsh coming up the stumps to greet him and saying, how's the wife and my kids? Ah, yes. Which does not end well, um, <laughs> and certainly not on a podcast of this quality and erudition. Does sledging help? Because I think with heckling, everyone thinks mm. they're helping and they're mm. in no way helping at all. Mm. Hecklers are the worst people ever in a comedy club. They ruin your flow. They ruin what you're trying to do with the audience, trying mm. to build them to a peak of frenzy, mm. of laughter. And all a heckler does is get in the way. No one ever yeah. likes a heckler. They are the worst people, but they think they are helping. Does mm. sledging, did it give you the adrenaline push required yeah. to concentrate more? Best way to deal with sledging, I mean, when I first went to Australia in 78, first Ashes tour, 
And then 79, 80, we played against the Chapel Brothers, Lily, Thompson, all these guys, you know, some, and some of them, and Marsh, you know, all great hecklers. We'll call them hecklers. It sounds better. <laughs> um, but there was, there was a kind of rule then. If you sort of just smiled and got runs, you know, when, when you're raising your bat for 100, the, the sledging is stopped by yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were, they tended to go for people they felt would react badly. And even, I mean, the irony was sometimes people like, say, uh, Terry Alderman, for one, if you hit him for four, he'd sledge you. If you played and missed at him, he'd sledge you, but he'd feel as though he was winning. But I always found it quite funny when I'd sort of just smacked him for four through cover and he'd issue a torrent of abuse. And I'd go, really? Now? Mm-hmm. Um, OK. <laughs> well, I'll do it again then. Yeah, so yeah. the next one, ping for him. And he'd another... Look, I'm, how many more times do I have to hit you before before you just shut up? <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's each to his own. And, of course, from their angle, I mean, the great bowlers, some of the great... I mean, the West Indies, for instance, they didn't mutter a word. Right. They just looked at you. Yeah. Oh, I'll be off then. <laughs> you know, people like Andy Roberts, Michael Holding, hardly ever said a word on the field. They had the attributes. People like Dennis Lilly. I used to love playing against Dennis. We'd exchange words, but they wouldn't be proper sledges. You know, this would just be you know, if you played missed. Sorry, mate. You know, <laughs> sorry. I probably try not to do that again. Yeah. yeah. There was a sort of certain mutual respect, and sledging does not involve mutual respect. So. I think in this uh, it's, it's current series, there are, two, there are two new forms of sledging in this current series. In the, uh, Steve Smith, when the bowlers bowled a good ball, he goes, that was a good one. Mm. It's like he's speaking to a six-year-old, well done, well done, very good, nearly got me. And the other one is the TV umpires, I think, have started sledging when it's a bad call. Just roll it back and let's have a look. <laughs> Just roll it back again and let's have another look how bad that call was. And again. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did hear a third umpire at one stage apologising to, to the on-field umpire who he was about to tell had to yeah. reverse his decision. I'm pretty sure I heard an, I'm sorry, Kumar, uh, you're going to have to reverse your decision. <laughs> but it's when it's so obviously not out that it's like, oh, fantastic. Let's have a look, roll it back and forward. It's, it's, you could have DRS. That's what you could do in... Uh, in your stage shows if someone yeah. heckles you is just go back over the DRS of the heckle <laughs> just roll that heckle back and forth <laughs> luckily most of the audiences I've had so far um, none of them have been ushered in at gunpoint um, uh, only a couple anyway they've come willingly and they've left under their own you know under their own steam and uh, most of them actually said they quite enjoyed it which is quite nice too Lovely. so I do try and ask them questions now and again just to see if they're still awake <laughs> um, that, that's quite a good tactic now and again um, with my demographic. And you think, well, OK, and sort of a bit of interaction is quite, is quite fun with them. And that's, that sort of helps the whole thing along. You'll have to come and do Edinburgh, David. Ah. Um, blowers used to come and do Edinburgh. Yeah. And uh, one summer he commentated. We thought he'd commentate for a couple of overs. Comedians v. Critics cricket right. match. Yeah, yeah. He commentated on the whole thing for three hours. <laughs> Just stood there commentating on the whole thing. To, to who? Did Lovely. he actually have... No, we had about 20 people watching. So <laughs> yeah. Blowers has commented on my rubbish that I bowled and I was like thrilled absolutely <laughs> delighted David how can we get tickets offer me monies <laughs> <laughs> there is a website david-gower.com and a link to live tour dates and all the rest of it and tickets from there and, and the th- once you've established where they are and then the theatres themselves will also of course be selling tickets but david-gower.com and there are even pictures and stuff like this, you know, which your mum would love. <laughs> she, she would. She's going to love this podcast. Mm. Um, I did see that the, the, the tickets were also advertised on Ticketmaster, although yep. it did um, advertise it there as um, an evening with Dave Gower. Really? Have you ever, have you ever been called Dave before? <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll, I'll have to start calling him Tickmaster. <laughs> <laughs> David.
David's On the Front Foot tour starts in Bristol on the 7th October and takes in Hereford, Corby, Monmouth, Exeter, Lyme Regis, Andover, Southwold, Sheffield, Lincoln, Leicester, Coventry, Stamford, Southport, Blackburn, Manchester, Cleckheaton, Hunstanton and finishes in London on the 4th of November. David, you're coming to the end of your time on Sky's Cricket Commentary and it's always awkward when you leave a job to have to say goodbye to everyone in a meaningful way. So we thought we'd give you the chance to practice here. <laughs> right. Um, could you uh, work, just workshop with me? Could you give hmm. me the first word that comes into your head for each of your commentary colleagues? Oh, my <laughs> dear. <laughs> NASA. Beak. <laughs> Warn. <laughs> but it's calling Mr. Warren. Uh, Warren uh, Hurley. Hurley? <laughs> Liz Hurley. Oh, oh my God. Do you not read hello? You're far too clever. I mean, it just feels like it was such a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, it, but it was lovely. Whenever she came to join us, you know, watch a bit of cricket with Damien, it was lovely just to have her there, you know. <laughs> Sir Ian? <laughs> I call him Phoebes. Why? Because he's beefy. Right, and that's too easy, that's too obvious. Um, and as, as a great um, <laughs> uh, Friends fan, I, I thought Phoebes and that sort of ditziness and this sort of lack of attention to the you know, <laughs> it was just absolutely perfect for him. <laughs> wow, I really want somebody to get that back to Lisa Kudrow <laughs> and see what she makes of it. Uh, holding? <laughs> um, horses. Horses? Mikey is our racing tipster. He is the man who, when he's here in the summers, lives in Newmarket, goes out on the gallops every morning with Sir Michael Stout, and if we have a racing tip, it has to come from him. And do you guys I've, win? I've, my my um, account is has survived because I've taken his advice. I mean, you win some, you lose some, of course. But when we had a, we had a syndicate in the Skybox five or six years ago, which was meant to be controlled by Mikey and on recommendations from Mikey, but it dissolved in a hurry because people like Bumble decided that the Daily Mirror was a far better source of tips than, uh, than Michael Holding. And everyone decided they wanted to put bets on. In the space of a month or two, the whole kitty disappeared, <laughs> vaporised into absolutely nothing because we didn't obey the rules, which is to leave it all to Mikey. <laughs> uh, next up, Bumble. Mad. <laughs> I think we all know where you're coming from. And finally, Athers. Erudite. Oh, that's very... That's, that's, that's given you a warm glow, hasn't it? Yeah. It's lovely, isn't it? As he's still there. <laughs> well, it's time to say goodbye. Andy, you're off to the Rugby World Cup. Mm. Are you going to be watching England win two World Cups in a year? Mm. <laughs> good, mm. good question. I think uh, the cricketers had a better chance than the rugby players do. But yeah, there's a good chance still, all the same. And will it ruin uh, Owen Morgan's chance of getting uh, sport? Or even Ben Stokes' ben Stokes. chance of being sports Anthony of year and Owen's chance of being captain and team of the year if, if the rugby team do well. I was talking about this the other day. I mean, actually, I kind of hate sports personality of the year and I hate talking about it. But <laughs> since you brought it up... Well, we've uh, made you talk about the honours I mean, system and Charlie hated that. <laughs> I suppose, you know, if Owen Farrell does a, pulls a Johnny Wilkinson and, and kicks a drop goal to win it in the dying minutes of extra time, then, yeah. That Are might. there super overs in the rugby? <laughs> does it go to boundary count, Becca? <laughs> Uh, these are things I will 
endeavour to find out before I fly on Saturday. Okay, uh, I have one final <laughs> question for you, uh, as this is the last time that you're going to um, appear on this series of The Spin. Have you ever sat next to someone on a train to Manchester for two hours and jostled passive-aggressively with the man in the next seat over the armrest, only for him to take out his phone just as you're nearing Stockport and start listening to the episode of the Guardian Cricket Podcast you've just recorded? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that did happen to me earlier this summer, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I felt lousy about it and if that man is listening which he probably is yes I am the man who was uh, jostling you with my elbow for two hours all the way to Manchester uh, sorry about that and thank you for listening <laughs> seemed a very specific question <laughs> <laughs> yeah Charlie I'm so sorry I yeah, don't have an equally yes. uh, disappointed not to be asked that myself <laughs> do, you, do you use the train <laughs> <laughs> yes well work I mean, harder then <laughs> work, work harder at annoying people <laughs> Um, David, before we say goodbye to you, yeah. if you don't have anything sorted out for next summer, we're trying to get this podcast recommissioned and we're much more likely to get a second series if you could just commit to being my co-presenter right now. Oh, well, I mean, just say no more. I mean, that, that, that offer of half a million pounds per episode was just, <laughs> I couldn't turn it down. <laughs> Producer Jeff, can you get on that? Thanks. <laughs> we'll be back next episode with our review of the final Ashes Test, which we'll be recording at the ground with as many of our regular guests as we can keep sober long enough to join us. And the cricket doesn't stop there. There's still T20 finals day and what's shaping up to be a dramatic end to the county championship to talk about. Do England and Australia have one more dramatic test match in them? Let's hope so. See you next time. The Spin is supported by NatWest. To find out about how NatWest is making it easier for everyone to get involved in cricket, search NatWest Cricket.